from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 728, Compassion During the Pandemic, with guest April Wenzel. Recorded Monday, August 17th, 2020. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. And our ongoing pandemic series, my uh, guest today is April Wenzel, who is the founder of Compassionate Coding, a conscious business focused on training technologists in emotional intelligence and social responsibility. And April has spent the previous decade as a software engineer and a technical leader at various startups in the Silicon Valley, building products in such fields as healthcare, education, and user research. As an advocate for a more inclusive tech industry, she also volunteers with organizations teaching coding skills to groups of underrepresented in the industry. And away from the keyboard, she enjoys baking fruit, running ultra marathons, ouch, <laughs> and baking tasty vegan treats. Welcome, April. Hello. Good, good to be here. Thanks for having me. And, and I have known a few ultra marathoners. It's a special thing. I mean, that's a long way to run. I, I, like you're 100K, 150K, like how far do you go? <laughs> well, so far, uh, my max has been a 50K, but that's, you know, 30 something miles. Yeah. So that's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty long time. It, it took me most of a day, like about a work day's length of running. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And just it is a challenge on the body. No toys about it. But it does seem to be a, a, there's a certain personality trait, too, I think. There's an obsessiveness, <laughs> a drive to push your body that hard. That's so funny. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I used to hate running. I will say, like in high school, I definitely did not enjoy it. But uh, later in life, I've come to it. Well, I say later in life. Like in my in my uh, late 20s, I came to it and have been doing it since then. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And it's a, it's definitely a thing, thing, a goal to work towards any given time, right? When you have a race coming up and you sort of got to tune yourself and your focus to be ready for that day. Absolutely. Which, which has, you know, been derailed <laughs> given the, the world conditions right now. No race is coming up, but oh, I can no still kidding. run. <laughs> yeah. It's d- d- very different running. I, I do use a treadmill now and again, just because you have to do something and my dog's getting too old to make the walk useful anymore. So, uh, I have to Aww. run separately. I, you know, it's, this is last few years. They're delightful. He's cuddlier in exchange. It's a good price to pay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah hard to argue with. Uh, I reached out to you a while ago because of this post you did in April around compassion during a pandemic, but you've been talking about compassionate coding for a long time. Yes, that's right. I started the company in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so, the the vision that generally we should be more compassionate around developing things. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, I had, you know, as as you mentioned in the bio, I had spent about a decade in tech, and and I saw that compassion was definitely not at the forefront of <laughs> the workplace or the people in the workplace. And uh, I I was sort of frustrated by my own experiences, you know, as a woman in tech and seeing the lack of diversity in tech, in addition to feeling burnout, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, you know what, all of this is connected, and mm-hmm. what's missing here is just compassion. And I mean, part of it, I wonder, although I, I clearly feel, I f- see the culture changing in the past of the while, and for better or worse, I think the pandemic has helped. But for a long time in our industry, I think we celebrated almost this um, uh, emotional damage, this you work all <laughs> night, you know, that the, the uh, eating terribly, 
just uh you know that we emphasizing the more uh spectrumy kind of aspects of our personality as a strength as an asset yeah i think that's true um and i definitely was part of that so i don't mean to pretend i wasn't mm-hmm. you know i sort of at the beginning for sure uh i i fit the stereotype in a lot of ways. So, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it's it, uh, absolutely a thing. What makes the pandemic different, you think, that, that because compassion is always reasonable, but w- what makes this a particular tipping point for you? Uh, I think right now what's happening is more people are suffering in a more tangible way mm. that is easy to see and all at once and uh, not in the same way, but in similar ways. And so, it creates this sort of some level of connectedness. Uh, and it's also, you know, especially people who have lived sort of a plush life so far, you know, they may have struggled to get toilet paper earlier on in the pandemic. Yeah. And that's when you, fr- when it's your first time struggling with something like that, uh, it's sort of an opening to grow compassion. And so that's what I, that's what I see happening, uh, in the pandemic. Uh, not in everyone, but there's definitely, uh, some of that happening. It is as you see the range of, of response to this unusual set of adversity. Yes. Just not being able to get your big block of toilet paper. That's an interesting moment. So many people react so negatively to that, or at least the ones that make it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and and people have different things that that are like signs of security, you know, and they they mean different things to people. And so, uh, yeah, you're you're so right about the range of responses. And and I think, you know, we're all suffering some sort of loss right now. And so, of course, there's going to be a grief response of some sort, but everybody's sort of in different stages of that grief process. Uh, And so that's what makes it, I think, also interesting and challenging when you're working with multiple people or when you're engaging in social social media is if you're sort of in acceptance, but some people are either in anger or denial, then, you know, there may be more friction than even normal. So. Sure. Although and I'm going to go back and reference your blog post uh, during the pandemic, because you did focus on some self-care too. I, th- I think there's an awful lot of people who just take that for granted. We don't think a whole lot about taking time out for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that uh, I've, I've always seen, especially in tech and in the business world in general, is, you know, this idea that you, you're sort of this robot that can just keep going and mm-hmm. going in the workplace. And, and, you know, it's weak to talk about your emotions or how you're feeling. And I think that that's, uh, that's too bad because I think a lot of the, the, the wider systemic, systemic problems we see in tech, uh, would be easier to address if people were taking better care of themselves. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I start with self-compassion usually in my talks and my workshops and in that blog post because, it's it's uh, so easy to overlook, as you mentioned. Even before the pandemic, there seemed to be sort of an uptick in this conversation about burnout. Mm-hmm. That that and, and this, uh, I think the the pandemic only just made it all that much larger, uh, for better or worse. As someone who is a fan of YouTube, it's like when YouTube took a downturn, when the adpocalypse, as they call it, happened. All of a sudden, a whole lot of YouTubers were were burning out. So, in one way, it feels like it, it seems like. Burnout is when we're faced with too much adversity? Uh, I think that definitely exacerbates it. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it, it, burnout's an interesting thing. Uh, one, one way I look at it is like, you know, especially being an entrepreneur, like sometimes I'm working really hard. Mm-hmm. And when I see the impact that I'm having, I don't feel burnout. I feel energized. Right. I feel motivated. I feel renewed. However, it's when we're working 
for putting in all this effort and we don't see the impact, or perhaps we run into these barriers of adversity that you're talking about that hold us back and, or especially if they seem unfair and all these sorts of things. And I think that that especially contributes to those feelings of burnout. Yeah. I wonder if you're burned out either way, but the failure makes it more apparent. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting thought. Because I do think we overexert ourselves intel- certainly intellectually and, and with these big goals, big efforts. And there's a reward if you pull it off, but you're still exhausted. <laughs> that's true. You're, there's always a need for uh, for rest and uh, downtime, no matter what you're working on. Um, that's a really good point to make. Yeah. Although celebrating the win is a whole lot more fun than consoling the the you know did it didn't you didn't make it yeah well i guess i guess it all depends right like it's all, all a matter of perspective i think there's some people who have mastered this art of just like um uh you know celebrating uh their failure so to speak or mm-hmm. at least celebrating the gift that uh that failure can bring of of learning or that sort of thing which is something to to aspire to at least <laughs> do you do you focus on you know what folks should be doing to recharge their batteries sort of get past burnout? Like what, what are the, what are effective behaviors? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the first one is going to sound really obvious, but again, people <laughs> probably can use the reminder is really to take a step back in whatever ways you can. And again, that, that's going to vary depending on your circumstances. Uh, but really just taking a literal, literal break, taking rest. Uh, you know, sometimes people need to take a few weeks off or a few days off to just sleep a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, sometimes it's really a matter of that. I've definitely done that many times um, throughout my career, especially even now doing um, entrepreneurship. I I sometimes take uh, really long breaks of just doing pretty much nothing, you know, just taking care of basic needs, but otherwise doing nothing. Now, not everyone has the privilege to do that. Uh, And so I think it's important to acknowledge that too. Uh, And so even if there's little things that you can, um, let go of. So, for example, you know, sometimes my house doesn't look the cleanest mm-hmm. if, uh, you know, I'm stressed out and that's, I have to be okay with that, you know, like I can cut back on that. Uh, just little things that you can let go uh, while you're taking good care of yourself. Yeah, at least trying to recharge your batteries a little bit. And one of the things the pandemic showed me is that I've been telling the joke I've been jet lagged since 2001. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Yeah. Turned out it, turned out it wasn't a joke. Yeah, man. <laughs> After two months of being home, my sleep changed and uh, to the better. And it's interesting to think about what it will be like when we can go on airplanes again, of whether I'm going to be tolerant of, of that ever again, because I kind of like the way I sleep today. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm feeling that too. I, I did a lot of travel, uh, international travel last year for Compassionate Coding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year, no international travel. And it's, yeah, it's it's definitely a difference. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it'll... There, it just reminds us there's no way back, right? That there's whatever comes after this is going to be different because we've been changed by it. That's a good point. You know, it really is a transition period. And I, I think I'm glad you pointed that out because I think finding meaning in these difficult times, because they are difficult, you know, mm-hmm. even if we are enjoying aspects of it, I think finding meaning and like moving forward, uh, like what that, how our lives will change is a big part of processing the grief. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. I just is acknowledging that you had, there is something to grieve here. 
that the, yeah. the, the world of January 2020 was fundamentally different than the world today. And there's no way to get back there. That's something to grieve. Absolutely. And I, I see some people, you know, beating themselves up or feeling like they're not allowed to feel sad because they haven't lost a loved one. And some people have, and you know, they could be listening and, and my heart goes out to you. Um, or if you're struggling with the, with the, with the disease yourself, but even people who have lo- suffered small losses, I mean, we have to grieve all of these losses or else they'll, they'll well up like in other times later, they'll bubble mm-hmm. up to the surface and come out in, in unprocessed ways. So, you know, it's worth acknowledging whatever you're feeling right now, even if you're just, you know, sad that you had to celebrate your birthday, like alone in your bedroom, like crying, you know, I mean, like that's, uh, yeah. you know, maybe I'm speaking from experience there. Anyway, <laughs> um, That's worth grieving as well, yes. you know? The, the the fact that we can't do things that we value, that do recharge our batteries, that do strengthen us because of the conditions of the pandemic, I think is certainly something to acknowledge uh, one way or the other. Uh, it is interesting that there's a lot of folks that avoid their emotions, uh, stay focused on work because you are opening Pandora's box. I, yes. I, I just wonder about that challenge to that you know you you're in some ways you're kind of forced to confront some things here and you could be better for it but it is still pandora's box like stuff's going to go down while you figure this out that's a really good point and i think about that a lot because i feel like i used to earlier on in my career i kept that box closed and Mm -hmm. i feel like even though I knew under the surface, I was this very like empathetic and feeling person, I didn't want to go there. And so I let myself live that sort of robotic software engineer life. And I, you know, just went to work and coded and didn't deal with the messy human stuff and like didn't think about it as much as possible. Uh, but it's sort of inevitably, you know, I think, I think, you know, when I went through some tough times myself, emotionally, uh, you know, burnout and and just things in my personal life, that's sort of what cracked my heart open, so sure. to speak, so that I couldn't like push it down anymore. And so I did, I had to confront it. And now it's funny because I look around and I see a lot of times other software engineers who seem to be uh, not feeling a lot of what's going on. Now, of course, that's on the surface, but at least that's the impression they're giving. And sometimes I feel uh, for a brief moment, sort of envious of my old self, at least that used to be able to just push it away. Because some days like the uh, the collective grief of the world, like I feel that and it's uh, it's a lot. (laughs) So I would say that there's something to the uh, escape sort of of coding and and work. Uh, It's just a matter of finding ways to still think about the humans involved. And I think, like you said, it is Pandora's box. So finding the tools and resources you need to support you through that, whether it's professional help, whether it's journaling, whether it's, uh, you know, meditation, whatever you, you need to take care of yourself as you process that. But I think to not process it at all, uh, you'll set yourself up for for problems uh, either now or at least down the line. It's, it's almost like a kind of technical debt, right? Like it's, it's an good, emotional yeah. debt. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good analogy. I like that. Well, and you get that immediate benefit. I plow through while others are struggling. I seem fine, but you're going to have to pay it back sooner or later. Yes. Yes, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Interesting reality. I hate to put that in technical terms, but. No, I like that. I do that a lot in my time. I feel like that helps it resonate with engineers is to like use analogies like that. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk about our emotions as kind of like an alert system. Like, oh, oh, there's something wrong with the website. And like, you better pay attention to this. And like, yes. I think it helps. So I'm glad you said that. That's funny. Uh, and April, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. 
This episode of Run As is brought to you by the new Virtual Dev Intersection and SQL Intersection Workshop event. If you've ever listened to the SQL Q&A episodes on Run As, you heard the fun, knowledge, and experience from some of the workshop leaders at SQL Intersection. And for the first time ever, the event is going virtual October 26th and 27th. Go to virtual.devintersection.com to register and check out the amazing lineup of workshops. On top of the keynotes from Scott Guthrie and Charles Manana, the workshops cover Azure topics, .NET development, as well as SQL-related materials. And of course, Michelle Bustamante is hosting a workshop, as is Tim Radney and a number of Microsoft engineers, including Jeff Fritch, Scott Hunter, and Maria Nagaga. Spend a few hours and go deep on important topics at virtual.devintersection.com. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. We're doing another show in the pandemic series. This is April Wenzel. We're talking a bit about compassionate coding. And I'm your host, Richard Campbell. You make this point, and I've certainly felt this way, and I think a lot of technical people have felt this way, that we feel guilty for being okay. That, I mean, we've mostly kept our jobs. Our work has continued. We're still, you know, functioning productively. And you don't really want to talk about that because there's a lot of people suffering more. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's two part here. Cause one is, as we were just talking about, acknowledge the ways that, that you may be suffering, even if they're small, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just that you can't go to your favorite restaurant. I mean, for some people, I know that sounds silly uh, or trivial, but for some people, it's, you know, they have their friends with the people who work there. Like it's a, it's a um, emotional thing. So, well, you know, feel I'm, what you feel. I'm one of those folks. We have a favorite pub, know the entire staff, have a regular seat, have a group that we go with, been closed for months. And even now that it's sort of open, it's not the same. It's never going to be the same, really. But it's uh, yeah, it, it is an it is an interesting thing. And it, I don't want to call it a triviality, but it's like that's what I used to do on Fridays when I was home. Yeah, with my friends and family. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you gave that example because that's I feel that way too about about various things, and I don't see them as trivial either. I see it as you know a real human thing that we're feeling. So on one side, it's acknowledging that, and then the other part of it though is is finding ways. So it, as far as the guilt aspect, finding ways to help those who. Mm-hmm are less fortunate and who are struggling more. I mean, we see this pandemic, yes, it, it, it is affecting everyone, but we see it's it's harder hitting on people who are immunocompromised. We see that it's harder hitting on communities of color and we see it's harder hitting on people, you know, suffering financial uh, problems and difficulties. So, you know, and, and even people like uh, working parents are having a, a, you know, harder time, especially oh, yeah. single working parents. And so I think it's like a feeling the suffering that you feel and then using that as a doorway to understanding or at least uh, thinking about considering the suffering of, of others and taking whatever small steps you can to help. I mean, we're in IT. Patience with others is kind of the job, right? Like you are, you part of your work day in, day out is helping others with things that they're struggling with. Yes. It just seems like there's more of it than ever before. Is it enough? Uh, I mean, is it, I guess I got, I'm looking for the difference between patience and compassion. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Well, I, I see compassion as noticing suffering and then seeking to alleviate it, Mm -hmm. whether it's in yourself or others. And so I feel like, uh, patience, I would see is definitely a component of compassion. I think it would be, uh, difficult to apply compassion without patience. But that said, I do often speak of fierce compassion, which is when you speak up in a way that others might find uncomfortable, but it's because you're ultimately trying to alleviate suffering. For example, if you're speaking up against injustice and perhaps uh, you express that in a really strong way, uh, you are trying to 
help alleviate suffering. So maybe you might come across as not patient. So that may be an example of where uh, someone might perceive you as not being patient, but maybe your lack of patience is actually uh, an asset in that scenario. Well, and, and sometimes you have folks that are lashing out because they're frightened and or, or distressed and so forth. And it's like, or should you be patient with that? Or do you have to call out the unkindness too? So that's a good question. And, you know, there's, uh, and, and people often think, you know, because I speak about compassion that I, I'm telling everyone to oh, be nice to each other all the time. And that's not really the message. It's uh, sometimes we have to have these difficult conversations mm-hmm. and leave space for people to have those strong emotions. If you think about people who have faced injustice all their life, who on a daily basis feel bias and discrimination, and then on top of that are being most affected by this pandemic, yeah. like people in their community, they have a right to be angry. And I want to give space to that anger and and see uh, you know where the suffering is underneath and how I may be contributing to it uh, and I think that that's the what's on us to you know if we feel guilty about uh, you know the how um, how nice we may have it right now is to feel like well by how nice we have it what are ways where uh, other people don't and how may we be contributing to the fact that they don't have it nice you know yeah and uh, and what we can do to, to make difference. In that. So giving it yes. room, but also, you know, calling out harm where harm exists. I think it's, you know, when I think protecting ourselves, like, for example, if you're, if there's this, even in nonviolent communication, there's this idea that, you know, if someone's actually like about to hit you, you know, you're, you're, you're allowed to defend yourself. Like, you know, if there's physical violence, you know, sure. even if you're normally nonviolent, you could, you know, protect yourself. However, uh, I think it's a delicate issue in terms of when people are speaking about experiences that, that I haven't been through because uh, even if they use harsh language with me or call me names, like I have a certain level of wanting to allow that because I know that there must be deep suffering underneath and I don't necessarily have to take it personally, but I can give a space to it. And for people who have less level of tolerance for that, they can always take a step back sure. and let that. So, so I think that's the key is like being able to, if you need to take a step back to process your own emotions, to give yourself space to do that as well. I mean, I would say this as someone who's made things and put them out in the world for a very long time and often been criticized or occasionally been criticized for them. It's almost never about you. <laughs> like the that that whatever that the the nastiness that person might throw in your direction it may not actually be about you at all it's it, that's in them and he, so you sort of as soon as you sort of take a step back and say you know i don't know that you actually mean to attack me about this you're just angry uh certainly you get far less defensive about it because there's nothing ultimately you did uh but the um that you can sort of, you know, there's something else going on. There's lots of forces acting on people at any given time. Yeah, it's true. It's There's always a mix of things. And so, yeah, a lot of times, you know, I get, I as well get feedback, you know, on talks or whatever, and it's, you know, this sucks or whatever. But mm-hmm. I take a step back and think, you know, even some of the feedback that may seem, you know, perhaps like unkind or whatever, if there may be a grain of truth to it. And right. so I also try to reflect to see if, uh, you know, even if it makes me, if it seems hurtful or, or whatever, to see if there's a grain of an element of truth that I can help grow through. Uh, and so I feel like, yeah, it's a, it's a mix of, of both of those things. Well, and I, pre- and I do appreciate your sentiment in general. It's like you are coming from a position of privilege. So yes. start there and look again. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Y- you wrote that post back in April. Yes. It's, we're recording this in August for publication in September because time shifting is cool. <laughs> How are things different now since you 
originally wrote that and, and, you know, we've progressed through this pandemic to some degree, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, I, I sometimes look back at that post, uh, for myself as sort of reminders of things because I feel like it's been easier to, it's been easy to, to lose sight of some of these things. Cause when I wrote it, we were a little bit closer to, uh, the previous period of normalcy. So right. it was a little bit easier to put thoughts together and to write a blog post and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, like, you know, I've been facing some of the uh, the challenges of this, you know, just m- mental health wise and everything. And so uh, I feel like we're, again, we're all in different stages of grief. But I will say one thing that uh, that has changed a lot as well is just seeing that how the pandemic of, you know, COVID-19 is intersecting with the existing pandemic of systemic injustice in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important to acknowledge, especially people in tech where, you know, we, we really, uh, we, we have a lot of issues with uh, lack of inclusion and diversity. And, uh, you know, we, we see discrimination and we see unconscious bias and conscious bias and all sorts of things. And so we have a role to play in the systemic injustice conversation as well. And so I think that that's a big thing that um, I think has come to light uh, more so now than ever. And I'm hoping that it will continue to catalyze positive change that, you know, again, this will make the tech industry better for everyone and better for the world. Because, you know, in the U.S., we have, you know, an election coming up uh, that's going to be important. Yes. And, you know, and uh, we have tech companies who are actively influencing it, uh, whether, well, actively or passively. But, uh, you know, in terms of what content is out there and what's swaying people's minds. And these are the, you know, these are the kind of things where tech is not, you know, this this neutral sort of uh, uh, power. It's uh, the people who write technology and, you know, build that world, that technology world, have such an impact on our real world. And so I think now more than ever, uh, I hope that people are at least considering the human impact of their work. Yeah, that's a Marshall McLuhan quote, right? That technology is neither good nor evil nor neutral. There you go. Right? We, we do have a responsibility as technologists to recognize that our biases exist in our tools. And those tools then influence other people's biases. Yeah, that's that's well well stated. And I, I see by the I saw by the way that you have a project, the uh, the humanitarian toolbox, yes. which is cool, which is definitely trying to use technology for good. So uh, kudos for that. Thank you, and and and, it, and it's an interesting challenge too. But so you know, really, what HT Box was about was recognizing that there were lots of technologists that wanted to help but needed an organizational structure around it to be able to help effectively. Yeah. So, you know, we're just enabling volunteers. In the end, the volunteers are the ones making the difference. Yeah. But making sure that those volunteer hours are well spent mm-hmm. uh, makes a, is a good job, a challenging, a challenging task. Pick the, working on the right projects, sharing them the right way, and letting people be able to make their contributions one way or the other. Uh, I, I just feel like that's an aspect of compassion is just this enablement of everyone around you. Yeah, that's definitely true because, you know, people often suffer. Part of the cause of suffering is, yeah, not having access to certain things or not having um, knowledge of certain things. And so, you know, spreading that absolutely is, is compassionate. Yeah. And do, I, I, you know, funny thing about disaster response, we were digging through all the sort of technical aspects of disaster response and came to the realization that good information in the hands of the people that need it is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so just making sure the tools encourage good information. It's good insight. You know, 
accurate from the story. And it's not the fanciest thing, but that's always the joke about good software every time. It was almost never the fanciest thing. It's <laughs> yeah. usually yeah. the simplest things that make the biggest difference. So, uh, what's next for you? Where are you going with this? What should f- folks take away now? In, in trying to practice more compassion. Yeah, you know, I think um, as far as what folks can take away, like I think it would be really great if we if we use this time in the ways that we can as a transformation time, as we've been speaking about. And mm-hmm. so using this this sort of forced slowdown for many of us, especially those with privileges we spoke about, uh, to think about our impact on the world. And, you know, it's even speaking of disaster relief, right? Like, let's look at where this pandemic came from and how we're how we are uh, contributing to that. You know, Jane Goodall has been outspoken about uh, how our our sort of disrespect for nature is what brings us these sorts of pandemics. And so, thinking about the sustainability of our data centers, mm-hmm. even you know, all of these aspects of our work, uh, like where we're encoding bias and AI, all these sorts of things that are contributing to suffering. And so I think now more than ever, we who work in tech ha- seem to have the space to, to have these conversations and to think about it. And so that's what I see as, you know, something to take forward. Uh, as far as me personally, uh, I'm not, not, not doing a, another European tour this year, definitely. Oddly uh, but, enough, right? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, which is, uh, you know, good and bad. I, I do appreciate the time to rest. Uh, but yeah, so I'm working on putting more content online, uh, which is, uh, I, I mentioned to you outside of this that I, I had taken a little bit of a break. I had stepped back a bit just to process my own thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. And now I'm feeling a bit more uh, uh, there all, all together. Charged and so up. I'm working on... I'm working on um, uh, putting you know together an online course to to help make a lot of the things that I do teach in person more accessible uh, to to a wider audience. So that's that's what's next for uh, for me and compassionate coding for now. Compassionate checklist seems like a great idea. Yeah, just like these these are things just to remind yourself of, right? So because often when we need the compassion most is when we're le- least able to think of it. That's a very good point. Yeah, that that's why I wrote that blog post. It's hard to even call it a blog post. It was more of an outline because my mind was kind of you know not operating a hundred percent, and I figured other people's attention spans were probably low. So I was like, let me just write this as an outline. So a checklist seems like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I love these small acts of compassion. They're easy things to do. The checking on your neighbors thing. Like I just have the sense that. We all reached out into our immediate surroundings during this time and maybe made some better connections with our with our neighbors and our extended family. Yeah, I think that that's that's one beautiful thing that's happening. And I think, um, you know, even I've seen people online also donating to each other a lot. So strangers Mm -hmm. online who are going through a tough time, like just sending them, you know, Venmo or Cash App or something and just sending something so that their their life is a little bit easier for a while. And I think that that's a a beautiful thing as well. Yeah. And just that positive moment where something comes out of the blue that says, you're okay, things are going to get better. Here's some help. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to do. Yeah. Simple, small moments. Well, April, I really appreciate uh, you putting some time in with me, uh, talking through the, this subject. I, I think it's amazingly powerful and, uh, and I think I just ignored all too often. Uh, I read a book ages ago now, uh, that was the power of full engagement. Mm. And it said, we all have the same amount of time. Time isn't a constraint. It's energy. Yes. And, and so. You know, you taking that little time away, like we're not supposed to take big vacations this year because we're not supposed to travel too far. But I would argue the vacation distracts from the battery recharging, that actually just taking time to recharge is more important and ultimately can make the bigger difference. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.